Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show, powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Big Money Siege, can you refresh our memories, our collective memories, about the last time a trade occurred during the Stanley Cup Finals? I can't remember any other time with that happening. It's funny, I... I don't know, but I feel like it has happened. Like there seems to be this, this idea out here that news can't be happening during the cup final. I think it's more the league would prefer it be on the off days of the Stanley cup final. And as you've gathered, there's a lot of those, there's, there's been a number of those, but I can just remember over the years being at the final and there's hirings and firings. I mean, you can't stop all league business for two weeks in June. I mean, there's just too much to be done. And so I don't have the answer to that, but I am sure there have been other trades during the Stanley Cup final. Maybe not. It's probably been a while since you had one as big as a three-way deal. You know, so many moving parts. You know, this was a pretty big trade, I would suggest. Um, maybe it's hard, maybe difficult to get excited about it compared to one that happens in the season and you're going to see the players and the new teams on Tuesday and you're all curious about it. But I mean, this is, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack with this one. For context, uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets, Philadelphia Flyers, and Los Angeles Kings, part of a th- of a three-way deal. Ivan Provorov going to Columbus, Kevin Connaughton, Hayden Hodgson, and 30% of Ivan Provorov's contract to L.A. And the Philadelphia Flyers are getting Cal Peterson, uh, Sean Walker, Helga Granz, uh, the uh, second-round pick from the Los Angeles Kings in 2024, uh, the Kings' second first-round pick, which actually belongs to the Kings, and a conditional second-round pick in 2024 it was very interesting it was a very uh very intriguing deal that took place on one of the off days in between stanley cup final games what are your thoughts i mean i think you almost have to look at it piece by piece what each team views here because you know they were able to each sort of achieve a different objective by using each other and i think that's ideally where you find common ground to make trades you know philadelphia you know what this signals is danny Breer talked a lot when he was hired about a rebuild this is the start of a rebuild. This is the sort of trade a team uh, makes where they're, they're both taking on some financial commitments, you know, namely that the contract that Cal Peterson had, um, you know, in addition to Sean Walker, who though, I, you know, I think when you look at the right side of the blue line in Philadelphia, he's, he's seen as a player for them. It's not just taking on a contract, um, you know, and, you know, sell a player like Ivan Provorov in order to boost the, their, their, their draft pick position. Um, getting number 22 in the draft that's coming up in three weeks time. Uh, Helgi Gans was a, was a second round pick in 2020 big defenseman thought of as, as a real sort of B level prospect, I would say, but, but a legit prospect with the prospect of playing in the NHL. Um, And then obviously get a second round pick too. So, you know, from their end of things, this is a a nice start. I would say for Danny Breer um, in terms of, 
you know, getting Philadelphia on a path to some sort of plan other than patching holes and forever trying to make the playoffs, which, you know, has served that organization pretty well over a large swath of time. I think if you look in more recent years, you can question direction there and, and, you know, what, you know, where the plan was. Um, and, you know, I think the, the big question coming out of this for Philadelphia is where do they go next? Because obviously they have a number of players that, that can or might be dealt or would have interest around the league. You know, for Los Angeles, we, we got immediate gratification in terms of what they're trying to do. They needed to clear out some contract space to, to sign uh, Vladislav Gavrikov, which they managed to do on Wednesday. Uh, you know, they, I think, pretty good work here, all things considered. Even even taking on 30% of Provorov's deal as, as the kind of third-party broker is, you know, getting out from under two more years of Peterson, you know, who obviously has kind of crashed spectacularly since signing an extension with them was once thought of maybe as a potential goalie of the future on the other side of Jonathan quick that didn't materialize. And, you know, and Sean Walker, a player who missed all of the season two years ago uh, was scratched a little bit during the playoffs here for them. You know, that, that allowed them to sign Gavrikov and Columbus perhaps last, but certainly not least. I mean, this is a team that's soon going to hire Mike Babcock now has added Ivan Provorov, I think that they, they're still very active in the D market. I would not be surprised in the least to see them go out and make another impact addition in the near future here. I don't think they're just going to wait for free agency to, to add to their team. You know, they're, they're, they're clearly trying to, to be in a window. I don't know if we call it a contention window, but they want to be good as soon as possible. They, they, they don't plan on languishing at the bottom of the standings year after year after year and, and being patient. And so I think that that's what this represents for me in seeing what the Blue Jackets did. So the Blue Jackets could be going for someone maybe off of your big board? I think it's quite possible. I mean, they they certainly have checked in on Damon Severson, so I wouldn't be surprised to, to see that that come to fruition. Now, as we're recording now, I don't have any reason to believe that's happening, but I but I think that they've at least expressed interest there, and Severson was at the top of the the, the, the big board for free agency. So um, you know, would make sense for some team, whether it's Columbus or someone else to try to jump the market and, and trade for his rights and, and ultimately sign him. Uh, I suppose it's possible a team could even try to work out a sign and trade because he could, you know, sign an eight year deal with New Jersey and then be traded. I think that that's at least a possibility again, not specific just to Columbus, but in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, Columbus, when, when you look at actually, when you rewind the tape a little bit, they were the ones who traded Gavrikov and, and Junis Corposalo, another pending free agent, to L.A. Um, they got a first and a third rounder back at that point in time. They've essentially replaced Gavrikov's position in their lineup as a, a left shot D of Provorov. They gave up a first and a second uh, in, in the deal that going to, to Philadelphia for that to happen. But Provorov is, is younger, signed for two more years, and with the salary retention is, is now cheaper than Gavrikov was going to be. So in some ways you might argue that to be creative cap management um, because they've essentially filled the hole they created with the assets they got. And, you know, I think it's a low risk bet from a hockey standpoint um, because Provorov, look, if, if it's he, either he's great and, and they're happy with their acquisition, or maybe even if he's great, they could still flip him again you know, in, in the next year and a half, um, you know, maybe it's at the 2024 trade deadline or would it be 2025? Anyway, time's going on on me here, but th- th- he's, he still is an asset that might yield them more future, um, 
you know, draft picks or prospects or even a player, but, you know, clearly in the short term, I think the focus for the blue jackets is that they, they want to get better. They, they don't want to be finishing 28th or 29th or 30th next season. And, you know, they've, uh, we'll see what will become there. I, I, I don't, I, I think we need to see more of the picture to know the likelihood of that, but, but we can start to see what these early moves, whether it's, you know, agreeing in principle to, to bring Mike Babcock in as a coach, trading for a player who's sort of in his prime age at 26 in Provorov, you know, they're, they're clearly not bottoming out the way I, I would expect Philadelphia is going to, going to do here in the next year or two. Let's stay on Philadelphia for a moment, because after the, some of the details of the Provorov trade were starting to come out, it seemed as if some reports about Carter Hart being moved were starting to surface as well. Where are we at in the Carter Hart discourse? Well, my read on this is it's probably a little premature. I think some people jumped to some conclusions, maybe because Cal Peterson was part of the return for Philadelphia. I mean, certainly the Flyers position has been that they, I think, are listening really on a lot of their guys. That includes Travis Konechny. They'd be willing to listen on, you know, Carter Hart, throw him in there. But I don't have any reason to believe or any knowledge at this point that they've had sort of material conversations on a Carter Hart trade. I, I don't think there's anything way down the road here. You know, I think it's more a case where they're they're open to moving a lot of their their players as part of this rebuild process and they have to gauge what makes sense. And so, you know, I think because there was kind of a window there where a few of us were reporting some of the details of this deal before everything was finalized. It might have even been an hour. Just, you know, I think that's reflective of how complicated the deal was. You know, that's not as easy of a trade call as if you know, you and me, Julian, are trading players one for one and we get on the, the, the phone with the league. I think they can do that thing rather quickly. And I think in that vacuum of time where information's starting to leak out and where things are made official, Carter Hart's name gets thrown into the mix and everyone gets gets going a little bit crazy. Um, you know, that is to say, I, I, I think it's possible Carter Hart has traded this offseason. I don't think it's happening in the next week or two. Like, I don't get the feeling or the sense that you know, there's four teams bidding aggressively for him and it's going to, you know, come to a head. Um, but clearly when you have the change at the management level, the Flyers have, and and really they've also shifted direction in, a diff- in addition to sort of the, the changes made in the GM's chair and, and with the new president and Keith Jones, you know, I think it's possible we end up at a spot where Carter Hart's traded. I just, I, I don't, my, my intel suggests it's, it's not something that's imminent or happening right now or we shouldn't necessarily be bracing for it the way we might be with some other moves, right? I mean, there's other players around the league. You have Pierre-Luc Dubois uh, indicating that, that he's looking for a move on from Winnipeg. We have Alex Debrink at Ottawa, um, you know, who's given a list of teams to the Senators here. You know, I think that those situations are actually a little more pressing in terms of timeline uh, than what uh, we're dealing with with Carter Hart. Well, let's talk about those two names because they did. Uh, those two names are out there. And I'm very intrigued about where they could possibly go. I mean, a lot of Canadians fans have been telegraphing a Dubois to Montreal move for quite some time. And people are even wondering why they even need to make a move because he wants to go there anyway. There were all the rumors of him being in Montreal for the draft last year. And now Alex Dabrinkit in Ottawa, his future could be in a different uniform. What do we have on those two players? Well, what you have, what they share is that they're not UFAs this summer, right? And so, you know, both would would have to sign or could still end up signing, I guess, one-year contracts or, or maybe through the arbitration process, end up with one-year pr- contracts where they currently are. But those deals would walk them to, to potential free agency. And so I think what you have in the meantime is, is teams and agents and players you know, aligning themselves and trying to do what's best for each um, 
entity involved here. I mean, obviously, if you are, let, let's zero in. If, if you are Winnipeg, I think that you have to try to at least see what the marketplace might be. You, you probably want to call the, the, the teams uh, that Pierre-Luc Dubois is interested in, which includes Montreal Canadiens, but I believe that there are other teams too. I don't, I don't think this isn't a case where the player is saying Montreal are bust. I mean, that's, that's the reason there has to be potentially a trade is that there are other teams he's willing to go to. Perhaps one of those teams is willing to step up, make a trade now and sign them to a longer term extension. And, and then it takes Dubois right off the table for the Canadian. So I think, I think that that would be the argument for doing it. Now, it's also not the best bargaining position if you're on Winnipeg's end of this. First of all, this is all kind of known either semi-privately or now maybe spilling out a little bit more publicly. Um, and, you know, it's not really the best time to be trading the asset necessarily if other teams like the Montreal or perhaps someone else is thinking, well, why don't you just, why don't you deal with them this summer and we'll, we'll see them next summer uh, as a free agent. I think that that's kind of the line in, in both cases that are that's being walked. And I think if you look historically, the best case scenario is something like what happened with Matthew Kachuk last year in, in, in Calgary, where, you know, while this trade maybe looks different in a different light today and it's been discussed differently, you know, at least you had a, there a team a front office working with the player and his agent to get him to a place he was willing to sign right away. And that that helped improve the value uh, in terms of what they could get back in return. And so I think that that's a dynamic that's going on with those those two situations it sounds like uh, Debrinket has probably narrowed his list to five or six teams. Um, you know, hard to pinpoint exactly which ones, although we do know he's a, a Michigan guy. I think that there's at least some interest, you know, from Detroit's end and, and perhaps from his. And then, you know, you probably have some of the typical sort of Sunbelt teams that are really good and nice weather situations, good cities to live in, whether that's teams like a Dallas or Carolina, Vegas. I mean, I think that, it's fair to deduce that those are the sort of places he'd probably like to go. I don't have as, as mm. bit of a beat on, on Dubois, um, you know, beyond the obvious. I think Montreal is clearly a place that he'd be willing to play and, and consider a longer term deal. If, if, if a trade could happen, you know, it's still early days on that one. I'm not, not sure Winnipeg, you know, Winnipeg has a lot of decisions to make, right? I mean, I think that's, that's what makes the, that circumstance more complicated is they have, they're one year out from potential unrestricted free agency for Mark Shifley, Connor Hellebuck, uh, Blake Wheeler, even, you know, they have to, I, I don't know that they're trading all of those players, but they have to kind of figure out what the best path forward is here. And perhaps for them, when, when they do that work and, and they survey the marketplace, maybe the best path for them is still to, to go to arbitration, for example, with Dubois and have them back for one year and look at doing something during the season. This doesn't necessarily have to be settled this summer. I think that that might be, in the best interest of some of the parties, but like that, that's kind of where we're at in this process. Whereas I think in Ottawa, you know, quite clearly this is tied to some of the uncertainty around the ownership situation. It's, it's only one player. I think Ottawa would be looking at. And so it might be a little easier with the Brinkett. Also, you know, the senators do know which teams he's, he's willing to, to, you know, sign an extension with basically or longer term extension. And so I think that they can get to work on seeing, Hey, call the four or five or six teams, whatever that number is. And, and just make a quick decision based on what uh, what might be on offer. Absolute fire to start off the show. We're going to do sports interaction, and then we're going to get to CJ's big board version 1.0 of uh, free agents to come for next month. 
You can bet that with David Bastel. Brought to you by Sports Interaction. Get in the action and make a play. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Welcome to You Can Bet That. Remember to hit up sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all of your gaming needs. Uh, Sports Interaction already has odds on who could be the best team next season uh, in the NHL. Any guesses as to who has the best odds to be uh, the Stanley Cup champion for next season, CJ? Maybe Vegas, just given what we're seeing this playoffs, where they're at in the cup final. Vegas or Edmonton would be my guess. Edmonton has the third best odds uh, at 7.32. Vegas has the seventh best odds. Colorado then, maybe? Colorado is the favorite. Any guesses as to who number two is? Tampa. Nope. Toronto? Tampa is Toronto is second, yes. <laughs> Tampa, ninth best odds at winning the Stanley Cup. Colorado, Toronto, Edmonton in that order, followed by Boston, New Jersey, Carolina, Vegas, the Rangers, Tampa, and to round it off in 10th place, the Florida Panthers. There's some good value there, I think. Like, Because it, it's hard for me, and look, we don't have a complete picture right now. Like We're having this discussion before free agency, before some of the trades we're going to see go down on the draft. We don't even know who's coaching some of those teams yet at this point in time. Like it's, so we're dealing with an incomplete picture, but I I would not probably put them in that order or anything close to that order who I think is most likely to be the favorites. It's not that I'm down on Colorado or, or even Toronto or Edmonton. It's just, you know, I think that there's I, – I, to me, like you're seeing Vegas do what they're doing in the cup final. I don't, I don't see any – Massive contractual issues there. I mean, they got to deal with Aiden Hill and Ivan Barbashev, but I see no reason to think that team can't, A, win this Stanley Cup and perhaps try to do it again next year. Yeah. Uh, we'll also get more of your thoughts uh, on the uh, Vegas-Florida series as we go on this podcast. But in the meantime, don't forget to check out sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all the best odds before game, in-game, and the best props. sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. Let's get to version 1.0 of CJ's big board. Uh, sometimes he does it for a trade deadline. In this case, it's going to be for the free agent class of summer 2023. So much information, so many names there. We know we kind of mentioned Damon Severson, uh, but let's go through some of these guys. Uh, let's go through the, the contents of this list, Siege. Sure, and I, and I think it's an interesting exercise for this UFA class in particular because everyone's going to have an obvious observation here. There's not really a headliner. Uh, I mean, there's a big name in Patrick Kane, but obviously we, we've all seen it's not the version of Patrick Kane in the last year or, or so that we've thought. Plus, you know, he's coming off some some hip resurfacing uh, surgery. But, you know, I think it it makes it a more intriguing list in some ways because it is hard to order them. It's hard to it's hard to say this person should be 20th and this person shouldn't be mentioned altogether because it's it's a big class of like, hmm. And I, and I think there's some good players here that are going to, you know, make a real difference on teams immediately that we'll look back in six months time and be like, wow, that was a great free agent signing. Um, but it's not always obvious. And so while at the top of the board, you have Damon Severson, Dmitry Orlov, uh, you know, I don't know how much we're not calling it the Orlov sweepstakes. And I say that with respect, he might end up signing the biggest contract here among the free agent defensemen on this list. Um, but there's, there's other players. And, and so I think that's kind of the game right now for me in trying to assemble the list and to get the Intel and what's going on with these guys, but then also for the teams as they make the, the decisions, um, you know, there, there could be some pretty good value to be found here. I think maybe later, uh, in the second half of the list, uh, also in the top five, Tyler Bertuzzi, 
uh, Dmitry Orlov uh, as well. Well, you mentioned Dmitry Orlov. Sorry, Tyler Bertuzzi and Ryan O'Reilly are also in that top five, I should say. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know what? Like, even if there isn't like a true headliner, you know, some of these teams could say, you know what? We need this guy, this guy as a depth piece uh, for us to make a playoff run. And there are some playoff performers on this list. I know the, the Bruins it didn't go so well with some of their guys, but Orlov and Bertuzzi, I think, are guys that teams would especially want. Orlov, I have to say, this year especially, opening up my eyes in terms of his offensive ability and his skating ability, his puck moving. Like, I, whoever, he's going to get the bag this offseason, Dmitry Orlov. Yeah, and he's probably the best all-around defenseman on the list. I, I think, you know, in this case, I've put Severson first, you know, mostly because I know that there's a fair amount of interest in him. There's teams looking to trade for him. He's a right shot, and and basically every organization is short right shots. The Kings are a notable exe- uh, exemption from that. Uh, they, they've had too many players, but in general, there, there are more left shot defensemen than right. So if you get someone who can play up your lineup, and then obviously he has very good puck-moving uh, offensive skills, uh, you know, that, that put him slightly ahead from, in terms of one, two, but I'm with you. It wouldn't surprise me if when the dust settles on this, maybe Orlov gets the biggest contract among the defensemen on there. Uh, we've already seen Vladislav Gavrikov come off the list uh, since it was first put out uh, with him resigning in LA. And, you know, maybe it tells us something that Gavrikov's off the list because he's resigned. Severson, there's teams trying to trade for him. I mean, there, there's still a lot of demand here and, and maybe not as much supply, especially for right shot D-men um as as teams would like and so you know that that's part of the dynamic and and really what you're looking at on this list i think is you know at the top end it's players that are probably playing on your second line or second pairing for the most part you know you're not you're not finding a first line center here and if you are your your team probably isn't competing for the stanley cup next year um and so that's that's really what we're looking at but that brings contenders into play all sorts of teams looking to take another step from where they've been or to maybe you know, repeat success they've had in the past. I mean, they're, they're, they're looking on this list and trying to, to, you know, slot people in pretty high in the lineup, just maybe not right at the top end of your lineup. I'm intrigued about a guy like Tyler Bertuzzi, who I thought was going to do pretty well with Boston. And I mean, he did in some respects, just the team just couldn't get out of that first round and the Florida Panthers are in the Stanley Cup final. What a world we live in. But anyway, Tyler Bertuzzi uh, thought he would have stuck around in Boston. I wonder what his future will be this summer. Well, he still might stick around in Boston. I think that there's mutual interest in that happening. It's just a question of the dollars and cents, right? And and the Bruins don't have an abundance of cap space. I think they have some big decisions. You know, they're a team I could see potentially, you know, pulling a trade off, you know, similar to what LA has done here, it, you know, trading some salary away in order to create the room needed to sign someone like Bertuzzi. I mean, he had 10 points in that first round playoff loss. I mean, he just seems like a Bruin, doesn't he? It's sort of a rough yeah. and tumble player, you know, kind of a prototypical power forward as much as we have that in today's game. And, you know, someone who performed well after coming over in that midseason deal from Detroit. And so I, I wouldn't close the book just yet uh, on his time with the Bruins. In fact, I'd say that for a few players on the list. I mean, Jordan Stahl's on this list. I, I fully expect him to resign with Carolina, but until that happens, I mean, you, you have to at least put him in, in play on something like this because – you know, it's less than what it's about three weeks until free agency. And, and um, you know, we might see one or two players end up signing and not hitting the, the open market, but we're getting awfully close right now. What about Ryan O'Reilly? Uh, I'm not sure if uh, a return to Toronto is in the cards, but what about a return to St. Louis? Well, there's been a lot of whispers to that effect and, and that, you know, he left knowing that they 
would welcome him back, that they really liked him, that they were making this trade, of course, to maximize his value in a season, uh, you know, where they traded a number of their pieces from, from Tarasenko to, to Barbashev, Achari, in order to, to, you know, do a little reboot on the fly. And so I don't know that it's fully done or anything like that. It's just, it seems like that is where he's headed. Now, you know, Ryan O'Reilly's at an interesting stage in his career, 32 years old, you know, no one, no one's going to knock his accomplishments. In fact, you know, I thought he performed pretty well for the Leafs in the playoffs and, and certainly put up some offensive numbers, even though he was disappointed, he couldn't do a little bit more as things got to the, the crucial stages of that second round. And, uh, but you know, he's going to be looking for a bit of term here. I wouldn't surprise me to see him sign a, a four-year deal, maybe a five-year contract. Um, and so you, you know, you're getting to the danger zone. I, I'm not saying that no player can perform beyond that because, you know, we've all seen Joe Pavelski and others challenge that notion, but uh, you know, I think it's going to take something in that range to, to get him to sign maybe five, five and a half, six million dollars. So you, you know, you're looking at a significant commitment. Um, I don't think you can entirely close the door on the Leafs. It just doesn't seem like that's the likely fit unless they're moving off, uh, you know, one of their other forwards, which, you know, at this point in time doesn't seem to be the case. And so, you know, I think that a few teams would like to get a crack at him if he ends up uh, becoming a free agent. But you know, I'm just saying don't rule out the Blues and a return there. I think it was a happy marriage in a lot of respects. It was just a you know, product of where St. Louis was at at the trade deadline or, or in the lead up to it that they decided to deal him. Yeah, what about Patrick Kane? I'm curious about where he could end up as well now that his hip, uh, he's gone through hip surgery. Well, the surgery went well, and he'd never even had a scope in, in the hip in, in the past, which which – you know, I'm told at least could bode well for it's the first time it's kind of been opened up in that regard. Uh, but, you know, it's clearly a significant surgery, one that's supposed to keep him out perhaps till November, maybe even December. You know, we'll see how it, the recovery goes. But I think Patrick Kane certainly is of a mind that he wants to keep playing. There, there's hope here that his body is going to cooperate, that, you know, he's basically been playing with, um, you know, hip issues, pain, discomfort, whatever you want to call it for 18 months. And that, you know, on the other side of this, you know, procedure that there, there's going to be better days for him ahead. And I think sort of the result of that, you know, this is the first time he's ever been a free agent, Julian, uh, in the NHL. I think you might see him take some time. You know, most guys are scrambling and wanting to get a deal basically the afternoon of July 1st. You know, it's it's nice to know your future. It's nice to secure the bag, as, as they say, and, and know where that all, all lasts. I think Patrick Kane is comfortable allowing this to go deeper into the summer if, if if that's what it takes, you know, for him to have a clear sense of how the market's going to settle, which teams have loaded up, where he might best fit, um, you know, and, and let's face it, he, he's he's not going to play for free next year, but he's made a lot of money during his career. And so I think he can consider different options depending on what's put in front of him. And so, you know, I, I don't expect him to be signing a deal on July 1st or 2nd. I suppose anything is possible. Maybe something gets gets put in front of him. He just simply can't refuse. But more than likely, I think he'll survey things you know, take some additional time to make a more informed decision and, um, you know, go from there. You know, I think he's open to a lot of things though, different teams, different kinds of contracts, whether it's maybe just a one year deal somewhere or, or a couple years on that deal. I, I don't, I don't think he's going in with a, a set of, it has to be this, it has to be that I'll only play in this one or two cities. I, I think that, um, you know, from the sounds of it, Kane is, is really most focused right now, obviously on his recovery after going through that resurfacing uh, hip procedure and, and then, you know, just seeing kind of what's put in front of him come the start of July and, and working through those options with his family and his agent and ultimately making a decision. 
there seems to be an underlying theme of uh, players coming off of some significant injuries. Uh, we were mentioning Patrick Kane, but if we go further down the list, there are guys like Connor Brown and Max Pacioretty who are also available coming off of significant injuries. Yeah, and I'll even add Sean Monahan to that list. He didn't make the top 25 initially here, um, but but those three you know, share something, unfortunately, in common. Neither of them played beyond Christmas time. You know, in the case of Connor Brown, just a handful of games in Washington uh, before suffering an ACL tear in his knee at surgery on November 1st. He's been out, obviously. Pacioretty recovered from an Achilles tear last summer, plays three games or five games, I believe it was actually with Carolina. Unfortunately, suffers a tear of the same Achilles, went over to Finland to get that repaired. Um, you know, and in Monaghan's case, he's had some surgery as well. All these guys intend to play again. I'll, I'll go through them one by one. I think Connor Brown is interesting because he's he's not yet 30. He's, he's the, you know, in, in the younger part of his career, a lot of nice intangibles to him as a player, obviously accomplished a lot. And the tear in his knee, you know, from what I've heard was, was clean. Uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of complications there. It is a significant surgery, but it's obviously one a lot of players have come back from over the years. You know, he's said to be fully healthy right now in back skating, um, you know, stronger than ever even. And so that's, that's a pretty good runway because he's going to have a full summer of training uh, ahead as well. And something to keep in mind is all three of these guys are not 35 yet. And you usually have to be 35 or older to get a, a per performance bonus contract, at least beyond your entry level deal. Well, all of them are eligible to sign a one-year deal that include performance bonuses, which, you know, it mitigates the risk for the team because maybe they put one in there and say, you know, if you play 50 games next year, you know, you get paid X. So that, that ensures at least, Hey, you're getting at least half a season or more out of the player. So you're comfortable paying them that money, but it also those bonuses can be pushed back essentially not count on next year's cap, but the year after, if a team wants to run an overage and why that's significant is because the next year's caps expected to go up five, maybe even $6 million. And so teams that are planning on spending right to the cap next season that are looking to squeeze any extra value they can out of contracts or players you know, might look at, at one or more of these players and say, Hey, this makes a lot of sense. I mean, you're, you're maybe signing a Connor Brown to a one-year deal. There's not a lot of risk in that even coming off his injury and you don't have to pay him all that money right up front. I mean, you pay him the money in it comes out of the bank account in the next year, but it doesn't necessarily count against your cap until a time when, when the cap's going up. And so I think that's something to watch. Um, you know, where it's different with Pacioretty is it's not totally clear yet if he'll be fully healthy for the start of training camp, I think it's possible. It's, it's certainly not ruled out, but you know, he, he's a little behind because obviously, you know, he's had his most recent Achilles surgery, um, you know, in, in the calendar year, 2023 uh, and, and Monaghan, you know, I don't think it's impossible. He even ends up back in Montreal. If that, you know, where this started for him, he was traded there last summer from Calgary. I think it was working out really nicely until early December when, you know, he, he left their lineup and never returned. Um, you know, no, no guarantee he resigns with the Habs. I think there's been at least some discussions about that. And, and, but he's eligible to hit the open market too. And so those are potential value players because I think the upside is tremendous. You know, one thing I didn't mention about patch ready, he had 102 points in the 105 games he played last in the NHL. And now obviously he's 34 years old. Um, you know, he's had two significant injuries. I mean, it's the same injury twice. And so there's uncertainty with that, but I mean, he was, you might get him for a, a pretty reasonable number. You might get some of that salary tied up in bonuses that you can push back. 
Uh, you know, same thing with Connor Brown, even, even Sean Monahan. I mean, I, maybe the most concerns about Monahan just cause he's had such a series of issues with his hips and, and things over the years. But um, you know, I think that these are the kind of guys where teams might end up finding value. It's just, you know, getting, getting comfortable that they're going to be healthy enough for you next year. First and foremost, CJ, uh, we should talk about the goalies on this list. Uh, Tristan Jari's there. Frederick Anderson is there. Uh, Aiden Hill, who's in the Stanley Cup final right now, is on this list too. Uh, there's a goalie market building. There is, and you, you got to put almost Aiden Hill in, in the best seat possible because he's the only one still capable of playing games and having teams watch him. And as we're recording, this is two wins away potentially from being the goaltender of record on a Stanley Cup winner. Um, you know, great spot for him to be in. And, and you know, if we had have made the list, quite frankly – in March, maybe even in April, I'm not sure he's in the top 25 and that's not a slight on him. It's just that, um, you know, there, there wasn't a whole lot saying that, that he would be in demand, but now he's answered some questions that would have been there. He'd never played a game in the Stanley cup playoffs until this year. And he's, he's been great for Vegas. He's really done everything that, that they could ask for coming in, um, in relief. He's really their third stringer, right? Uh, they had Logan Thompson during the year who went out injured and Laurent Brassois went down in the second round against Edmonton. And so Hill has, you know, been, been all you could hope for. And so I would think that there will be a market for him, especially when you look back at some others, whether it's Billy Huso in recent years, I mean, players that don't have a huge, huge track record. You like what you saw in them when they did, but you know, those guys earned some pretty good deals. And, and I think that Hill will be in the market for one of those, you know, Jari will be an interesting call for the Penguins. Um, and, you know, we, we're not getting into trades just yet, Julian, but there are a number of potential options on the trade market for teams with goalies. You know, I look at someone like John Gibson, maybe Connor Hellebuck in Winnipeg, maybe Elvis Merzlikens out of Columbus. Um, that's not an exhaustive list. That's just, a, you know, a few names that are kind of surfacing out there, at least as, as you know, and, and we mentioned Carter Hart in, in the opening segment here. Um, so maybe Pittsburgh tries to get in on a trade for a goalie. If they don't, you know, Kyle Dubas had identified uh, Jari as one of his main priorities in taking over the Penguins, just figuring out where things are at with him, where he sees his place in the market, what it's going to take to pay him. I still think there's a world that they end up re-signing him rather than, than you know, him hitting, hitting the open market. But, um, you know, if he does, I think he'll probably be the most in-demand goalie, I would say, maybe him or Hill. Uh, and then don't sleep on Freddie Anderson just because – when he plays, he's solid. Like you just look across a long period of time, uh, he's got great numbers. You know, he's got the best numbers of any free agent goaltender. You know, on this year in terms of career save percentage, wins, games played, and all that. But, and it's it's an important but. He's missed time with injury each of the last three seasons, and sometimes at opportune times. Whether it was a couple years ago in Toronto, you know, last year's playoffs with with Carolina was was out of the mix, and then this year at the start of the playoffs, end of the regular season again. And so you might just have some questions about what his workload can be uh, when, when it comes to what you're going to pay him. But I think certainly in a tandem situation, you know, he's going to do quite well. And so those, those are the main options. You also have guys like Corpusalo uh, available this year as a UFA. Um, but I, I think we're going to see the goalie carousel swing pretty good. I, I just think some of it will hinge on trades and then the rest uh, with the, with these UFA market. If you want to check out the rest of CJ's big board, head to northstarbets.ca. Uh, all the names there, top 25, CJ has got you covered. It is a great time to be a sports fan. This is going to be a great and massive couple of weeks to come. On the ice, we have the Vegas Golden Knights and the Florida Panthers in the Stanley Cup Finals. And over on the hard court, 
We have the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals. And you already know the SDPN will be all over both of those series. For the hockey fans, check out the Steve Dangle podcast and the Chris Johnston show. We will have you covered. And the Game Over crew will be back for post games. For hoops, check out S and Lauren on the Objective Basketball podcast. Watch full episodes on our YouTube channel or listen on your favorite podcast app. We are everywhere. Hey, happy Pride listeners. We celebrate Pride here at SDPN because we believe that sports are only fun if everyone is welcome. We're also really excited to share that we are once again working with our good friends at the Get Real Movement. And we're joining their fundraising efforts by joining a virtual 5K on June 23rd. The money we raise will be going to Rainbow Railroad. Their mission is to help LGBTQI plus people escape state-sponsored violence. It's an extremely important cause, and we've got a link in the description below. Please check it out and support if you can. And stay tuned as we continue to celebrate Pride Month. We're just getting started. Siege, on our Monday show, we only got to a small handful of questions, so we're doing a special edition of Ask CJ for this Thursday. Uh, Nick, producer Nick, wants to know... uh, (laughs) Your prediction for uh, game three of the Stanley Cup final. I should mention this is not gambling advice because I, I don't know what the markets say. But I will say I do think Florida wins game three. And just just Ooh. too much riding on it. I think really game three is such an important pivotal game in every series because the dynamics change in terms of line matchups and all those sorts of things. Um, you know, Paul Maurice says Radko Gudis is in the lineup. I do think that the man known as the butcher is an important part of what the Panthers do. You know, the key is let's face it. Florida has to not get unhinged. I think that, you know, that they lost their composure at times in those first two games uh, would like a few more saves from Bobrovsky, but obviously maybe get out of his way too and let him see some shots. Cause some of those were self-inflicted wounds um, with Panthers players getting in front of their own goaltender. Uh, but I, I just think too much is riding on the game that, that I would be very surprised if the Panthers didn't have, their best game of the series and find a way to, to make it a little bit more interesting. From Glamp Frampton, who's known as totally offside on Twitter, who would win in a fight between a knight and a panther? Assume the knight has a sword and a shield, but no armor. The panther also has a sword and shield, but they are largely decorative. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say the knight, the knight wins that battle, but that's a very strange question. <laughs> That's a very strange question indeed. Uh, what about Connie 49? Is there a real chance we see a 2023 top five pick uh, being traded at the draft? No, I don't think so. Um, I mean, it's always a chance, right? But it just when's the last time that happened? I know it's been a long go. Teams, you got to be so bad to get a top five pick. Generally, I, I get the odd team has a lot of lottery luck. It's just hard to hand that away before you get the player in your hand. So I, I, I don't see, I don't see any of those top five picks being traded. Sam Tron on discord. Is this a reasonable trade given Chicago's extra cap space this summer and San Jose's desire to retool from San Jose, Mark Edward Vlasic, if he has his no trade clause, no trade clause waived, and the fourth overall pick, it's kind of funny this question is being <laughs> asked because you just said you don't see top five picks being moved. Uh, but Mark Edward Vlasic and the fourth overall pick to Chicago 
for their 19th overall pick. I'm imagining this as a great way for San Jose to free up a bunch of cap space and still get a good prospect while Chicago gets both Connor Bedard and Matt Faye Mitchkov. I see the creativity being placed there. I just don't see San Jose doing that. I mean, obviously San Jose wants to shed more salary. It's something they've been able to do going back to the Brent Burns trade. Uh, you know, I th think they'll take another run at moving Eric Carlson this summer, but I don't think you can have a season as awful as last year was for them and give away the fourth overall pick. Not that you're giving it away. You're getting something back here, but it's, it's a huge drop. If you look at, you know, what number four typically gets you to number 19, like you, to get a star level player in the NHL, you pretty much got to be picking top five. Uh, there's obvious exceptions. Do, players do slip through the cracks and you, you pull a brain point out of the third round every once in a while, but that's, that's the exception, not the rule. I just think that fourth overall picks too valuable to think about trading as a way to, to dump some salary. You hope you pick a Braden point and not a Brett Learnout. No disrespect to Brett Learnout, but he was taking seven picks before Braden point. Anyway, uh, from Narwhaler or Narwhaler, how does CJ feel about the Coburg Kodiaks this year? Uh-oh. I, I, I was hoping you'd know this one because I, I don't know, know what Cobra Kodiaks are. I'm not sure. I know that the Cobra Cougars are. Um, Cobra Kodiaks? What are, what are the Cobra? They're a lacrosse team. They're a lax team. Oh, there you go. I That's news to me. There was no lacrosse in Coburg when I was a kid. Um, oh. So I hope the Kodiaks are having fun and doing well, but I, I honestly don't. This is the first I've learned of them. I feel... Uh, I feel like I, I need to brush up on some more of what's going on in my hometown. Uh, from Lord High Ragamuffin, do we lose our 100% status if we skip the Ted Lasso talk? I'd never fall behind on the CJ show, but I've saved Ted Lasso season three for a proper binge sesh. Have you, are you up on, uh, have you finished uh, Ted Lasso? I have, yes. Okay. Uh, I don't know this if might have to be finish a it, have we? I mean, it seems like there's going to be a spinoff or something. Like, I don't think it's done done. Yeah. Did you see, you see the tweet from the Apple TV account? With, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Like they're, they're, they're teasing us. There's too many loose ends to me to say that it's done. So I don't know if any of us are done with it, but I am right up to date through three seasons of Ted Lasso. Okay. How about this? For one of those like summer episodes before we wrap up for the year, Let's have like a proper like Ted Lasso conversation. I like that. And no, to answer the question, you you still get to be a hundred percent. Because I if if we're giving out, if we're giving out spoilers on here, I mean we might be trying to spoil a trade or two and tell you about it before it goes on. But other than that, we're not here to spoil your your personal time. So if you skip by Ted Lasso, no no harm done. You're still a hundred percent in our books. Uh, two quick ones for you from D Fizzle. How difficult is it for reporters and writers to get access to other teams for conferences, availabilities, etc.? I'm thinking of Leafs writers getting into the Pittsburgh conference call uh, for when Kyle Dubas was announced as uh, the Poho of the Penguins. What's, pro what's the process like? Do you just email a rep and hope you get a Zoom link? Well, uh, Zooms have largely gone the way of the Dodo. So there, there aren't really a lot of Zooms. Um, that was a bit of an issue in the Zoom era, though, because I think teams... We're, we're trying to figure out how best to handle that. But when it comes to attending a major news conference in person, you know, had anyone in Toronto had more than 90 minutes heads up, I'm sure they would have tried to go down to Pittsburgh, about a five hour drive, give or take from Toronto for Kyle Dubas's availability. But they announced that at 
whatever it was, 1130 and on, on a Thursday morning and then 1 p.m. was the, the press conference. But yes, normally teams would let you into that uh, if you're from another city, especially if you're, you know, credit media, known media inside NHL circles. You know, usually that's enough to to get into those big press conferences. And, and you know, very little is done by Zoom nowadays. And so it's it's not maybe uh, it's, it's not an option to get on a Zoom because thankfully Zoom is behind us or mostly behind us. And uh, now we'll get to stick taps. Um, should I start Siege or do you want to start? You go first, my man. Okay. Um, for my stick tap, uh, I'm going to give it to uh, a man who uh, unfortunately uh, is no longer with us uh, this week. Uh, Egbert Gay uh, was the uh, editor-in-chief of the Montreal Community Contact, uh, a small community newspaper uh, that served the Black Anglophone community in Montreal. And he was the very first editor-in-chief I ever worked for. Um, he was the, it was the first internship I ever had. Uh, just writing basic copy stories that served uh, the Montreal Black community and getting to know a man like Egbert uh, helped me uh, along in my career. And he gave me my start. And to hear that he passed away earlier this week uh, was devastating uh, for me to hear. And I know for a lot of uh, my fellow colleagues back home who also got their start at that newspaper, uh, he will be missed. Uh, I, I, well, People are going to remember the fact that he did so much in terms of giving a voice to uh, many people from the community in terms of uh, writing stories about their events and and shining a light on people who do well. Uh, but I hope people remember Egbert as someone who gave a lane for aspiring black journalists to get their start. And I am a beneficiary of that lane. So uh, I just wanted to take the time to say that uh, I will miss Egbert and I give all the best to his family and friends during this extremely difficult time. Congolos my man. Well, with my stick tap, I'm not going to take any chance not to suck up to the boss. And so it goes to Steve Dangle for me this week. Uh, in all seriousness, Steve, we're grateful for everything you and Adam and Jesse have done for us getting to do this pod here. I know having been through some big moves myself, how difficult decisions like that can be and how scary they can be at times. And so the fact that you've had such a great run at Sportsnet and you've uh, announced here in the last few days that uh, you're coming to SDPN full-time and putting all your efforts here professionally. Uh, just wish you the best, man. Appreciative of everything you've given us. And should also mention, I'm appreciative of producer Nick because this if this recording sounds a little wonky, I don't know if it's the air quality outside or what, but my, my, my microphone, my camera have not been agreeing with us today. So Nick, has having a heck of a job trying to edit this this episode together. So to Steve, to Nick, double stick tabs from me. Yes. Um, thank you for everyone bearing with us uh, as we've had to go through some technical difficulties, uh, but we were still able to get through to the end of uh, this Thursday edition of the CJ Show. And quickly on Steve, uh, congratulations, buddy. Uh, congratulations on making this big step uh, in your career. You've served as a big inspiration for a ton of people who are trying to get into this into this space. And uh, the fact that you are able to do SDPN full time is amazing. And I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what comes next, man. So, uh, yes, of course, stick taps for you as well. And uh, stick taps, as always, for producer Nick. Uh, Siege, uh, we're just going to wrap this one up, man, before get something else breaks. Get out of here before Let's something breaks, up. man. Questions, uh, if you have more questions. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> questions get those sit down on twitter and discord subscribe to the podcast i'm uh, for c i almost said i'm cj for cj i'm julian peace everybody we'll talk monday the 
Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Wanna bet? Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.